0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami Podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season Three, Episode Thirty-Five, our final wrap-up episode, looking at basic liver science presentations from the International Liver Congress 2022. Episode Thirty-Five reviews six basic liver science presentations related to fibrosis that took place at a session in ILC 2022, chaired by Scott Friedman. Scott joins us to lead the discussion on these presentations, while Neil Henderson and Rachel Zayas join the regular surfers to provide their own perspectives and ask good questions. This conversation covers two more presentations, both of which rely on a methodology in which researchers convert adult cells into induced pluripotent stem cells, known as IPS cells, and then adapt these to function like stellate cells. While Scott shares some interesting findings that the studies reveal, he, Neil, and Rachel devote more attention to the methods used to conduct the studies, and along the way, Neil talks more about his work and the future of proteomics, while Rachel discusses the role that epigenetics can play. Jorn Schottenberg has a couple of questions. Louise and I make a couple of comments. These conversations cover some challenging and exciting issues in basic liver science. They point towards continued explosive increases in what we understand about NASH and fibrotic process in the liver in general. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group.
1: Scott Friedman. Neil set it up perfectly with the discussion about proteins, because that leads to two other abstracts from that session that were of a similar theme. And the theme was induced pluripotent stem cells giving rise to stellate cells. So again, some background required building on another Nobel Prize, this one to Yamanaka and his colleagues, who showed that you could take an adult mature skin cell or any cell, force it to express a cluster of very well-defined genes and transcription factors, and then turn that into a generalized pluripotent stem cell, what you can then do is say, well, now I've got this new cell that we can turn into anything we want. And clever investigators, mostly in Barcelona, as well as elsewhere, define methods to take that generalized, undifferentiated pluripotent stem cell and turn it into a stellate cell. And that's a fantastic development. The senior investigator, Paolo Sancho-Bru, who's in Barcelona, one of his trainees talked about using IPS cells to infer or to discover the protein. So Neil mentioned that he wants to validate these things at the protein level because all these genomic techniques look at DNA and mRNA, and there's not always a close correspondence between mRNA levels and the amount of protein, but it's the protein that really is where the rubber meets the road. So this was a proteomic analysis that actually uncovered a novel nuclear receptor known as ROR-alpha as a potential target. The biology is less important than the fact that, number one, they used iPS-derived stellate cells, and number two, that they use proteomics to interrogate those cells to find new therapeutic targets. So they're much closer to the action when they define a a protein rather than just the mRNA that encodes it. At the same time, a group from a company in the Bay Area, full disclosure, I consult with them, their name is Incitro, and they're trying to optimize these IPS-derived stellate cells to get the best one that, apropos of what Jorn was asking, the one that is most faithfully representing what we see in vivo. And so they use the machine learning approach to take these induced pluripotent stem cells and, and subselect for the very best that can really get them closer to predicting the activity of a drug or a biomarker for hepatic fibrosis. So, you know, the, the the other reason why induced pluripotent stem cells are important, not yet so much in liver, but eventually, is you can take those pluripotent stem cells and program them into hepatocytes, Now, or you, or you could program them into endothelial cells. That creates opportunities to either reconstitute all the different cell types from the same patient that have now been re-differentiated into the different elements of the normal liver, or you could reprogram into hepatocytes, use that as a a carrier to basically repopulate the liver in a patient with cells that are derived from their own tissues so that there's no rejection or need for immunosuppression. So all this comes about from the spectacular Nobel Prize winning work of Yamanaka, but the implications of this are just beginning to become obvious or more obvious as both therapeutics and as tools to better understand how disease develops both fibrosis and lots of other tissues as well. Others may want to comment on that, on IPS cells or proteomics or uh, models.
0: So I'm going to have a question, but let me hold for comments first. Comments?
1: Neil Henderson.
0: I'll just make a brief one regarding the proteomics Scott mentioned, which is, is absolutely vital in terms of really getting towards the heart of understanding function and how we can manipulate fibrosis single-cell proteomics is coming. It's not there yet, but hopefully that will be, you know, yet another step change in our understanding of disease pathogenesis. There are some exciting studies published already with single-cell proteome, but I think it might take another one or two years before we really get towards that. But that's coming over the hill. I just wanted to add something on that.
1: Yarn Schattenberg. Uh,
0: my question thought here is, of course, is there anything that a hepatic stellate cell could, would tack his protein with that we can pick it up in the peripheral blood, of course, because Neil rightfully mentioned, you know, we're going to move away from the tissue sampling. And of course, we'd like to very much draw this from a peripheral venous vein or peripheral vein and just get the signature uh, we want in, in terms of uh, stellate cells. And I think that's not really there yet either, neither from the, my understanding, you know, proteomic techniques or the genetic techniques, we're able to detect these uh, things. That'd be next next steps and interesting for me, I think.
1: Well, uh, apropos of that, and then I want Rachel's uh, input because this is her expertise, but there's a paper that just came out in the last week or two in science translational medicine from Eugene Hoshida and his group uh, that defined a first a tissue signature that conferred a higher risk of cancer and disease progression in NASH. And they were able to translate that into a circulating set of smaller the set of proteins that reflect the activity in the tissue but can be sampled from peripheral blood. So it, uh, obviously it needs to be validated like any biomarker, but it, I think we're getting a lot closer to developing techniques to sample elements of tissue from within the peripheral blood. Rachel, do you want to comment on that?
2: Yes. Rachel Zayas. First and foremost, I I agree that there's a multitude of proteomic techniques that are advancing, but for some reason, and financing has has had a big contributing factor to this, but proteomics is truly behind with transcriptomics, genomics, epigenetics as a field. So I think it's maybe five to eight years behind where we are today with with these other sequencing techniques. Um, Now, when we're thinking about hepatic stellate cell populations, whether it's cell type or different uh, states of fibrosis. While proteins have been implicated as having sound efficiency in differentiating between cell types, there's been a lot of data that suggested that epigenetics is more adequate to differentiate between these cell types. So I have a keen focus on non-coding regions of, of the human genome, which I've said many times before used to be constituted as junk DNA I think it's a flawed of human design rather than our understanding of what that junk DNA actually does. So lo and behold, it's not junk DNA, but methylated markers known as CPG islands or CPG sites where cytosine is followed by iguanine in dinucleotide repeats have shown superior critical efficacy in differentiating between tissues as well as cell types. So I think that this is where an emerging field is coming, at least for biomarker development, and um, I'm, I'm excited to see the cost of methylation sequencing has finally come down to a reasonable price to be conducted in in research. So it's a little bit behind where genomics and uh, transcriptomics are, but uh, methylated markers are emerging and emerging fast, both in oncology as well as other non cancerous states such as NAFLD and fibrosis. So,
1: Rachel, maybe you could just back up for a minute and remind us what epigenetics refers to for the clinicians who don't think about that as much?
2: Yes. Epigenetics are non-coding regions of the human genome. So think of methylated markers, which is... or So let me back up even further. Epigenetics is, is a Latin term, which truly means above the genome. So you have a, an oligonucleotide sequence, the letters of the human genome, ATCG, some of them are repeating. Th- think of the letters of the human genome. Epigenetics is above the genome. So it's keeping the oligonucleotide sequence intact, but it's changing the expression level of mechanisms downstream. So you can have the sequence stay intact, but let's say the methylated marker is 90% methylated. That means that the gene downstream is turned down. So it's orchestrating downstream mechanisms without changing the sequence of DNA. And this has every implications in, in many states. So from circadian rhythm to metabolism, metabolism to health and and longevity. So we're really just scratching the surface with with understanding how the epigenome interacts with other aspects of the human genome, but it's a vastly emerging field.
1: And the epigenetic kind of marks or biomarkers that you are referring to are from cells in circulating blood? And if so, do they represent the same epigenetic changes that are occurring in the tissue?
2: I love that question. That is an excellent question. So there's been an abundance of research directly. on on the tissue that can differentiate between the lungs, the liver, the kidneys. But then it begs the question, is this marker that's found in the kidneys, does it have the same methylation status in circulation? And not all of them do. So it's not which markers are only found in, in the liver and then found in circulation, but do the markers that are found in circulation, are they reflective of tissue of origin? Some of them are not. So we have to be very intentional with the markers we target to say this is truly a liver-specific marker and then replicate that in circulation. So not all of them do, but it's very important to consider tissue of origin when comparing to, to serum. And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami on Wednesday, July 13th. I'm pretty sure I know what we're going to talk about, and it's a major news story, but we haven't completely firmed it up yet, so I'll leave you in suspense. Until then, stay safe, surf on, we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.